0: Welcome to the War Room. Ryan Ray here reminding you that this show is listener supported at warroommedia.com. You can sign up for the free option, but if you want to support the show, that is where you do it. And oh, by the way, we will be rolling out YouTube episodes, so be sure to be on the lookout for that. Again, warroommedia.com is where you stay up to date with everything, communicate with me, see all of the past episodes, warroommedia.com. Now, let's get to the show. Javon welcome to the war room
1: My oh, man let's uh let's let's get to work
0: well, well first off I gotta say the listeners can't see this uh but I can um well, I have mine blurred you can't see me but I always love to see books I'm, a, I'm an avid reader you got a bunch of books for talk about your connection to books in a minute but, but it's just good to be around people who like to be into books it's kind of a I don't know a lost thing it seems these days
1: well, I, I mean, considering I'm, I'm in publishing, that's, uh, yeah, man, but that's, uh, what what you see there, actually, you, you can't see the whole thing, and man, it goes way down there, and then way down the other way, so we call that the scriberary, and those are all the books of the authors that we've
0: published. Wow, well, wow. it's an impressive, it's impressive, it's impressive, and so are, so are you a always been an avid reader did you get reading later in life what got you i mean
1: oh man you're really you're really diving into it so so get get this man i have only actually read so i'm 51 uh true 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 story here i've actually only read seven books in in my life um i just i am an excruciated i mean i i read really slow thank god for the man or woman who created audible uh, because that has that just been a, a gift. Matter of fact, I, I have four children, uh, eight, seven, five, and three, and my eight-year-old uh, actually helps me with some of the words in the books that, that I'm reading to her. So yeah, re- reading is, is not my thing, man. But you listen to a lot though. Oh, listen to a ton okay, see, yeah, I count
0: but... that. See, I count that as listening. Reading yeah. and listening, uh, consuming books, we'll say. Yes. Yes. Consuming so books. yeah,
1: I listened to a ton of, of books, but actually reading cover to cover, seven.
0: Seven. What seven?
1: Uh first one is To Kill a Mockingbird, only okay. book I ever read in school. Okay. Uh, the the other one was the second was Think and Grow Rich.
0: Uh-huh.
1: The other one was called The Jewish Phenomenon. Okay. Um, and then I, oh man, there's, oh, uh, Cyrus the Great. I, okay. I read uh, about, about his leadership and I'd, I'd have to go look on the shelf for the other one, but, but I know it's seven because I was counting the other day. <laughs> like, okay.
0: They're, they're, oh, yeah. There they are. There they are. Okay. Well, I didn't know if it was like a strategic seven. Like if you... No, man. It's um, just it's seven, just the way it panned out. Okay. Well, let's go back in time a little bit here. Uh, your bio is, is quite stunning. When you read it, and it reads, Javon McCormick was born the son of a black pimp father and a white single mother on welfare. That's the opening line. I didn't skip down like that. <laughs> like that, it's, it's jarring when for to read that. So,
1: man, course. Uh, imagine when I'm at a conference and I'm speaking, and I you know they introduce me, and I come out on stage. And, you know, when you're at a conference, everybody's kind of halfway paying attention to their phone, trying to get settled in. And my my opening line is, you know, my my dad was a black pimp in the 1970s. He put women on a street corner. They sold their bodies. My dad took every dollar. And along the way, my dad also managed to father 23 children. And so you you hear that first line and phones are down. People are engaged. You know, what the hell? What is this train wreck on stage right now?
0: Wow. 23. So you have 22 siblings. I have 22 half
1: brothers and sisters. So I'm the only one by my mother. My dad had 23 children and the most he ever had by one woman was three. So that let you know how much he got around.
0: Wow. And were these all the girls working for him or was it just a, a mix?
1: Um, it, some work for him, a uh, mix, uh, uh, you know, but yeah, it, it, 23
0: of us, man. Wow. When did you realize what your dad did for a living?
1: No, oh, man, I was five, six. Really? Yeah.
0: Or, or like it, it
1: was never, um, yeah, it was never, never like covered up or, you know, but, man, the, shit, the way I grew up, man, there was no, no, no one was protecting you from anything. Like you saw life for what, what it is. You know, it's, it's funny. My wife and I will we'll be watching the news or something, or I'll be watching the news. And I don't know, maybe a story. I'll just grab a story here. Let's say something comes on about Ukraine. And and they're showing uh, the, the, the war and different things, and my wife's like, Oh my god, you know, turn that off, turn that off. The kids are going. To... I'm like, I, I grew up watching heroin addicts and and pimps and and prostitutes, and I'm like, come on, I, this is life, this is reality. And where where I push back a little bit on my wife as well, I'm like, what about the kids who are actually living in that right now? If they can live in it, my kids can see it.
0: Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting because um, where, where did you grow up? Which part of the country? Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. Okay. Um, so you know, where I grew up, um, I, I, I didn't grow up in a situation like that. Um, but I have been um, internationally and seen some pretty rough environments, extreme poverty and stuff. And when you get there, it's always weird uh, for me coming in from the outside into it. Because to your point, this is the world that they live in. Right. Yeah. And so it's I don't want to say that that's normal for them. Like I'm trying to diminish it, but it, it is it's just their their life. Um, and I'm coming from the United States and the Nicaragua or, yeah. Honduras or wherever. And you're like, it's, it's such a shock. It's, it's almost overwhelming. And and they're functioning uh, day in, day out. And so I, I guess as you grew up going through this, you say this is this was just life. Yeah, it, it, you know, that's, that's the thing really, you know, even so
1: so when my mom, the first time my mom got pregnant, you know, my my dad took her to have an illegal abortion, you know, it was 1970, abortion was still illegal. And my, my dad took her to have an abortion, some back alley place and, and no anesthesia. And, and I remember my mom telling me it was so horrific that the second time she got pregnant with me, she decided to have, have a child. Well, uh, a pregnant prostitute is no good to a pimp. So my dad basically, you know, cut us off, and my mom gave birth to me. Uh, matter, matter of fact, when my mom went into labor, man, uh, she walked herself to the hospital. My dad was nowhere around, and because my mom was raised in an orphanage, so when when she graduated high, stu- high school at seventeen. There, there was no family. She, she has no clue where, why, how she got into the orphanage. We, I, I have my mother's last name. We have no clue where, why, how we got this last name. So when my mom went into to labor, there was no family to call or anything like that. My dad was around, so she walked herself to the hospital. But uh, my dad cut us off, and and you know I saw him maybe once or twice a month a- after that. But yeah, my mom and I grew up in in. Uh, poverty. I call it U.S. poverty. Like you said, there's po- poverty outside this country. It's a whole different level of poverty, but U.S. poverty nonetheless. And, you know, I've eaten from trash cans. I've gone two days without food, grew up on welfare, been evicted from public housing and with all your shit sitting on the on the curb wondering where you're going to go. But yeah, I mean, you... you it's like anything you, you don't know something's different if you don't know what's out there. So yeah, I, I was poor. I didn't always realize how poor we were, but yeah, you don't know what you don't know.
0: And so if I understand correctly, you said that your mother's family lineage, lineage just stops with her. So you don't have a grandma, yeah. now, grandpa. I
1: don't have anything, man. I, I couldn't, um, she, like I said, she got put in the orphanage as, as a baby, she has no clue who put her in there, why she got put in there. Um, nothing. I can't like, again, I can't tell you where my last name comes from anything.
0: Wow. That, that, that again, that's just one of those uh, for, again, I guess somewhat normal for you how you always live, but as you've grown up, um, uh, has there ever been a desire to, to learn about that history?
1: No. Um, here, here's the thing, man. Um, there hasn't been a desire to learn about the history, but there's been a, a, a deep desire to um, create a history for my kids. Like I said, I have four kids. Mm-hmm. How I even got into to, to publishing, I set out to write my my memoir, my, my book for my kids. That's, that's the only reason I did it. I never planned on selling any copies of the book. I wanted five copies so my kids would have an origin start. They can say, okay, at least we know this. Yeah. uh and that became important to me but to know my family history where i come from No ma- matter of fact I'll, I'll share a joke with you my uh partner uh business partner he got me the um 23 and me kit and uh-huh. and when he gave it to me he was a smart ass he goes man i think i know they made this for you you got 23 half brother you know kit and then he said 23 <laughs> and me this is you and and but but what's funny, man, he got that for me five years ago and it's still sitting on the shelf in my closet, uh wrapped up, never been opened.
0: There is something about making a, a, a demarcation line, if you will, uh wanting to press forward and, and not get caught up in the past. At what age did you decide that was going to be important for you? Wow, man. Um
1: Probably my whole life, even as a kid, I never got caught up in, oh, my, my dad's a pimp. My mom was a prostitute and uh, my parents were never married. And I, 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 I've I, never really done feel bad for yourself victimhood. Now, don't get me wrong. There were times I was sad when I didn't have any food to eat. That sucked. Or, the you know, the electricity was out and lights weren't working and we didn't have any water. There were times I was sad, but I never like felt sorry for myself. I, I don't do the whole victim thing. Uh, and, and I can't change the past. So I focused on, okay, what can I change? And I can only change the next hour, day, week, month, and year. I, I can't change the past. No matter how long I lay in bed, pull the sheets over my head and ask why, why it didn't change. E- even if, let's think, think of this, Ryan, even if you gave me the why, it still doesn't change anything. So I just choose not to focus on it. I, I, I actually go back and use my past uh, to seek lessons, find the positive in some of those harsh moments, things that can serve me versus things that will just hold me down like an anchor.
0: Did you get that from your mother?
1: Yeah. You know, my, my, my mom, uh, you know, she, she passed away in March this this last March. And, you know, I, I said to her, you know, my mom taught me how to survive. You know, I, I, I can survive. You can drop me anywhere in this, in this country. I'll survive. It's any, any circumstance. Um, But I had to teach myself how to thrive. Mm. And there's a, there's a big damn difference. And so yeah i i'm I can survive the best of a man and and that was you know a combination of my mom my my dad the streets uh you you learn how to to survive i i say this to people all the time uh confidence is a choice you know you you hear this bullshit phrase all the time of confidence is built no it actually isn't confidence is a choice and and people have asked me how so i said well when when I was walking down that alley and those three older boys were walking past me. I knew if I dropped my head and looked timid and meek that, okay, there may be an ass kicking coming shortly after that, but I raised my head. I looked over at them, said, what's up? And then they kind of look at me, Hey, what's going on little guy. And, and I walked on. That was a moment of choice and I chose to be confident. So we all as humans every day, regardless of your circumstance, regardless of where you are, I don't care if you're on death row, When you wake up each morning, you have a choice of how you're going to see the world.
0: I had on Chris Duffin the other day, and um, his story has some similar threads to yours. He grew up homeless in the Pacific Northwest at times, and um, he went to college. And, and, And so we talked about two things. One, the vulnerability of growing up in the environment that he did. Um, and did he realize the vulnerability? And it seems like you've touched on that there with, with the confidence thing. But two, once he got out of that environment, what was it like trying to adapt to the new environment and realizing that the old thing that you were a part of, you could go beyond that? So how, what would you say to that?
1: So when I never went to college, I have a GED. I didn't graduate you're, high you're, school. Yeah, basically.
2: <laughs> yeah, you get out, you
1: get out, whatever your next um, step is. Yeah. You know, uh, what, what? I will say I will say this to you, Ryan. Um the 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 game changer for me came uh, ten years old. My dad had moved to Houston, Texas. He had taken the 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 pimp game down to Houston, Texas, and I was uh, my, my mother was facing welfare fraud at the time and she was facing uh, about to go to prison. So I got shipped down to Houston, Texas to to live with my dad. Uh, And when I say ship down, man, I was nine years old. They put me on a Greyhound bus and I, at nine years old, I rode a Greyhound bus from Dayton, Ohio to Houston, Texas uh, by myself. And so I get to Houston and my dad was, was living there with one of his prostitutes. We lived in an hourly rate motel. We know what goes down there, but the game changer, my dad was driving through an ultra affluent, exclusive neighborhood in Houston. It's called River Oaks and 10, 15, $25 million homes. And I had never seen anything like that. They were they were bigger than the projects I, I lived in. And that was the moment, man. I, when I saw those houses and and I realized, wow, one family lives in those? Those things are huge. Uh, I remember saying to myself, okay, I'm going to have one of those one day. I, I couldn't tell you how, couldn't tell you what I was going to do to get it, but I knew I was going to get one. And that that really was the change of, oh, you just showed me possibility. And that's where so many people, especially in lower income communities, how it's sad as, as a society, we, we expect people to be productive members of society and to contribute. But we have the audacity to have that expectation when we haven't even shown them what's possible. How the hell am I supposed to know I can be a pharmaceutical rep, uh, an entrepreneur, an executive when all I see is, you know, the the dollar store, liquor stores, pawn shops, checks cashed, Uh, You know, there, there's no there's no grocery stores in the low low economic communities. That's why they call them food deserts. So I, I just think it's asinine of us as a society to have this expectation that people go out and be productive members when we don't even know what's possible.
0: Yeah, I guess the inverse of what I said about going to Honduras, Nicaragua is true. Me go down there, it's a culture shock for me. Yeah. Then come here to River Oaks, which is a nice area, as you, as you mentioned, Houston would be the opposite culture shock and could, could provide a spark of inspiration of there is something there to be, be, to be grasped.
1: Totally, totally. I mean, and that's, I mean, think, think about this right now, Ryan. I, I've, I've really been sharing this a lot lately, is right now, Chicago has gotten so bad. It's been nick- nicknamed Chirac. Like we've we've nicknamed a U.S. city Chirac. And so imagine if you're a five year old kid, five to 17 to year old kid growing up in Chirac and all you're seeing are murders, incarceration, shootings, poverty, drugs. How do you even know that you can become a forest ranger, a forest ranger? Now, now think about this. I'm not knocking forest rangers. No, no, it's, it's, it's not a high paying career. It starts at 40 grand a year. But think about if you could tell a kid this 10 year old kid, hey, what if I told you you could work outside in nature, fresh air, trees all day, and you'd get paid for it? How's that kid even know that's possible? A kid's going to look at you like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, and so that's that's how that's how basic and how sad it, 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 the 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 current way we look at society is is set up that I I cannot have this expectation of a 10 11 12 13 year old kid to want to aspire to be a corporate tax attorney when no one's even told this kid what that is
0: so how do we get that message to them
1: You know, you you hear right now, and I I think it's a very shallow, smart ass answer. You you hear people all the time say, Oh, well, that that should be taught in the homes and parents should teach that. Okay, this is true. I I won't I won't deny that. Okay, but no kid has to be born. Like I didn't ask to be born to a pimp father and and a prostitute mother, but I'm here now. So what do we do? And and for me, for me, the way I feel uh, the easiest way. In the most streamlined and, and influential way we could at least show kids what's possible is regardless of what school you go to, high income, low income, uh, here's a factual statistic, 40% of all graduating high school seniors will not go to college, 40%. It doesn't matter where you fall on the economic ladder. But every kid starting your freshman year should have to take a class called show and tell. And not show and tell like, like my daughter, she takes her favorite toy and she tells you about it. No, show me how to shake a hand, tell me why it's important. Show me how to fill out an application, tell me why it's important. Show me how to create a resume, tell me why it's important. But here's the big one. Show me a pharmaceutical rep, tell me how I can become one. Show me a financial wealth advisor, tell me how I can become one. Uh, again, how do I even know what I can become when I don't know what's possible. So I feel like your freshman year through your senior year of high school, every kid should be required to take a class called show and tell. Show me high high interest debt, credit card debt. Tell me how to avoid it. So show and tell.
0: Mm. One of the things when you get into these conversations is they become quite hard because everyone seems to have um, a political uh, agenda behind these things and, and concerns. Um, which which makes it quite frustrating because these are complex problems that that are, that are going to take they're not going to be solved you know in a year two years or ten years. Um, what are some misconceptions that you hear from the talking heads, the pundits, about growing up in this environment?
1: Um, you know, it, 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 it's it's not just the the the, the pundits, the political. It, it's also the media, man. You know, um, I, I, I speak at conferences frequently, and. What I always appreciate is the, the people who will be honest when I ask the hard question. And, and here's one of those hard questions. Again, my, my dad was black. My mom was white. So, you know, mixed race in the 70s. Ooh, not a good look, man. Black people didn't like me because I was half white. White people didn't like me because I was half black. Um, but I'll ask this question to people. I said, OK, when I say welfare in America, what's the first race you think of? And every now and then I'll get some honesty out of some people and they'll raise their hand and they'll, they'll say black people, you know, and, and every now and then I'll get someone who'll say, well, you know, uh, Latinos, brown people. I say, hey, I, one, I appreciate the honesty. Thank you very much, you know, for, for being willing to engage in the conversation. But more importantly, what I explained to them, again, factual statistic, you can take all of the Latinos, quote unquote brown people and all of the black people in this country, add them all up together. And there's still more white people on welfare. But the narrative that we sell to you is that more blacks are on welfare, more Latinos are coming into the country and they're just going to live off the system. And I'm like, mm, that's not quite right. So um, th- that's a misconception that, that is very much uh, wrong, that we, we just see in this country minorities as, oh, OK, lazy on the system. And more importantly, like I said, man, here's a big misconception that no one talks about. If, if you don't, things will just continue to repeat themselves if you don't do anything about it. So if you, if you have a 13-year-old little girl and she lives in public housing with her grandma, who had four kids by three different men, and her mom lives in the same apartment and had five kids by four different men, what do you think is going to happen to the 13-year-old little girl? And and to your point, that, that stupid argument that's always made is, well, that starts in the home. The parents should have to. Well, again, my dad was a pimp. My mom was an orphan. Who the hell was going to teach me those lessons? My mom didn't even know the lessons. So we as a society have to look at this different and say, OK, kids didn't ask to show up. So what do we do to change this broken system?
0: Yeah, and so... I think the thing that, that you're touching on there is, is interesting because it, it feels like, you know, so if you took this issue and you say, well, fatherlessness is a problem in these communities and we need to have more fathers. Well, there's not fathers, right? But then other people would say that that's, that's, that is a racial stereotype and you can't have that discussion. So uh, for me, should you know, I have that discussion, Ryan? I know you will. I, oh, yeah.
1: Think about that. I'll be the first one to say. Fatherless homes in the black community sucks. As as a as in the in the black communities, we need to stop uh with the whole uh speaking in in a positive way on oh, my baby's mamas and my baby's daddies. We gotta stop doing that. That's not a positive. And and so th especially me having a dad who had 23 kids, that's not a positive. That's not something to be proud of or, or, or brag about because at the end, who's getting hurt? It's the kid. The kids are the ones that are coming into this and, and there's no structure. There's no, we're not learning like, what is this supposed to look like? And I'm the, I'm the walking poster child of this. It wasn't until I was 39 years old that I even knew started looking at myself and saying wow you really suck in relationships you're you're horrible with women you're derogatory you're mean you're a beast you you are just foul with women i could not hold a relationship to save my life and it wasn't until i was 39 that I look i'm like where did this come from and i realized i was like well my dad was a pimp look how what i saw him treat women like my mom was a prostitute look what i saw happen with with her now right there I don't play the blame game. That's what happened. It's identified. Move the hell on. Now, what are we going to do to change? But yeah, I, I mean, we can sit back all day and say, well, you know, the the fatherless homes, the fatherless homes, true. Okay, now we've identified that. What are we going to do to change it?
0: Yeah, yeah that's where I was going. Exactly. So what do you do? If you said, you know, uh, potentially the war on drugs, lost homes, whatever, insert the four or five issues here. How how do you go about that? So you mentioned earlier, um, you know the, the the show and tell at the school. Okay, that's one thing. But but I think the I think where I'm getting hung up is is that we would agree that on the father the listeners issue, regardless of race, um, is a problem. But to say that puts you in a certain category where it makes it tough to have that conversation. So if we're saying, hey, how do we just so how do we make this a conversation that people can have? that we all that we agree that you can have these tough conversations and you can have it with the spirit of reasonable people might agree and they might disagree, but it doesn't mean you have to, you have to give them negative things about them or, or attribute to them, uh, ill intent.
1: Uh, you, you know, I, I'd even z- zoom out a bit. And, and let's talk about, uh, that, that what, what you just said right there, let's talk about that as a whole, as a society, that we we live in a, a society right now where where we can't have straightforward open discussions about anything, and so I'll, I'll give you a, a great example of this. I didn't vote for either one of them, Trump or Biden. So let me let me put that out there up front. Did not vote for either one. But watch this. We bash the hell out of Trump for. Things he would say, things he would do. Okay, some of it uh, we were just in 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 why we were bashing him. Okay, great, I get it. But we went on and on and on about how Trump was a racist, how he was a racist, and you know that was the narrative. And me being mixed race, truly, I I say this: fifty-one years old. One of the most racist things I ever heard is when Joe Biden said, "If you don't vote for me, you ain't black," and that got minimal. Uh, time, uh, discussion, minimal. And that was one of the most racist things that, because especially for me being mixed race, always trying to figure out and how do I identify trying to belong, trying to welcome, trying to, to, to fit in. And now I got an old white guy telling me what race I am based on who I vote for. That is some of the most racist shit I ever heard. And you, you, it was like 30 seconds of, of, You know, conversation and okay, on to the thing, because as a society, we're going to jump on and bash what we choose to versus having open and honest, direct conversations. We always want to attach a narrative to it. You know, look look at this right now. Here's another one. And again, I did not vote for Trump, but I call things what they are. Joe Biden ran on the virus and the border. Joe Biden hadn't been to the border since 2008. No one talks about this. Why? We we bash the hell out of Trump for what his views and how he treated the border. No one says anything about, hey, uh, Biden, you ran on the, the border. You're in control of Air Force One. You haven't even bothered to say, hey, hey uh, guys, let's swing by the border, at least take a picture. I kind of ran on this. I need to at least show that we came by. No, nothing, no discussion. So to your point on a big zoomed out level, that's us as a society, not just, uh, fatherless homes, not just, uh, you know, what's going on in the communities. We are so biased to, we can't even have open and honest discussions to listen, learn and seek to understand.
0: There's a line from the, um, uh, batman superman movie and batman says something to the effect of if superman possesses even a, 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 a portion of what we think he does as far as power we have to take him out and of course it's it's a good line of the movie maybe but but that line has crept into everyday thinking which is if this person potentially could be the next this then therefore we have to get rid of them and, and the the sad thing is um Reasonable minds disagreeing is one thing. I, I, I think that that kind of this misnomer of compromise is, is too far out there. The thing that we've kind of lost is is that if reasonable minds disagree, and they're reasonable, and one side's right, then the other side, if it's reasonable, will eventually admit that they were wrong. And on a me you level, we can have that discussion. Yeah. But top down, it feels like there's a pressure not to let people realize that you know what, me and you might have a policy in place for. Fixing this this issue, and then we try it out. And you're right, or I'm right; it doesn't matter. But then one of us goes, "Oh, wow, okay, that idea was great," or "That idea wasn't good." But but, but that's how reasonable people actually work through things. Um, and and we've gone to the to your point to the extreme, which is, um, no, if you take that position, you're this, you're that. And, and yeah. both sides are extremely guilty of it. And it drives me. That's that's the whole fault of this podcast was to bring on interesting people, have interesting discussions. And and to hear from right, left, whatever um, their their thoughts on on, on various issues, because um, we're going to disagree on all kinds of stuff. But if we can be reasonable, then we can watch the results and then adjust our opinion based upon that. Whereas it feels like with um you know the Trump versus Biden stuff. To your point, I didn't vote for either one of them either. Um, <laughs> but but it's quite clear that if Trump had made some of the gaffes that Biden had made here recently, looking confused, shaking the wrong hand, yeah. They would have. I mean, they were crucifying for two scoops of ice cream, you know. So, you know, and so you just like, you just it's like, come on, guys, are you try, are we trying to actually solve problems, or, or not? So, you mentioned though a minute ago, age thirty nine, age thirty nine, you realized that there was something with your relationships. What was that moment like? Oh man, that was brutal. What uh, it
1: it was one of the best moments one of the hardest investors, and I had gone broke, man. I had made a ton of money. Uh, it was 2007. So yeah, I was 38, 39 years old and, and uh, the mortgage crisis hit. And I was in mortgage and lost all my money broke, negative broke. I, I mean, through I was negative broke. I had to borrow money from my, my best friend and my stepdad to pay my rent. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, you made all that money. You taught yourself how to make money. You taught yourself business. You taught yourself the stock market. Um, Now that money's gone and you still have the same shitty character. (laughs) And and it was a real look at yourself in the mirror like, oh, wow, okay. Money didn't change the character. You know, you have money, horrible character. Now you're broke, horrible character. And that that was really the moment where I I had to look in the mirror and literally I had an out loud conversation and and it was painful because I had to say out loud, man. You're just like your dad and that, that sucked, that, that hurt. And so then it became a mission for me to, okay, how do I teach myself character? How do I teach myself a healthy relationship? And so that, that was rough, man. But, but like I said, to this day, one of of the best moments.
0: Who taught you character from that point on? Yeah. You said you had to teach yourself. So who'd you learn from?
1: Oh, man, Uh, I I learned from the same places I've learned everything in life, man. Observation, paying attention to society. You know, people have asked me numerous times, you know, what mentors did you have? Uh, Society's been my mentor. Pay attention. Watch watch what's happening. I'm I'm big on observation. What are people doing? What are they saying? Why does that happen that way? Um, And so I would watch how certain people interacted. There's this one gentleman in particular, I would see him and his family come into the gym uh, each day, and he'd come in with his wife and their four kids, and I kind of befriended him a little bit, and I would ask him, I'm like, hey, you know what, did four kids, man, that's a lot, and he said, oh, yeah, and they they all go to private Christian school, and, um, you know, his wife was, was blonde hair, blue eyed, and He'd tell me about, he'd complain about how big the uh, cafe bill was because they'd run up the bill on on the cafe and because his card was on on file. And I was like, man, just going to dinner is like, and he's like, yeah, well, here's what's funny when you say, where where did I learn it? So if you, if you heard what I just said, his wife was blonde hair, blue eyed, he has four kids that went to private Christian school. My wife is blonde hair, blue eyed. I have four kids that go to private Christian school. And not only do they go to private Christian school, they go to the same one his went to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it's funny. So I've got four, I've got a wife and four kids. Um, Mine go to private Christian school, and my wife has not natural blonde, but she has blonde. And today, as we're recording this, is our 16 year anniversary. So I should shout out my wife there. So um, nice. You. Learn these lessons. You've had business failures. You've had an interesting upbringing, obviously. Obviously, you have a successful company now that you're in publishing. How much humbling? You said you are humbled. How much do you go through the humbling process before you say, I'm humbled? <laughs> because you can wallow in that, it's a tough time now, or I need to be humbled more. How, do, how did you decide, okay, I've, I've, I've learned or I'm starting to learn now let's move forward. It's it's interesting so for for me the word humbled um
1: the way the way I define that word is uh, you, you needed to be smacked off your pedestal. You needed to be brought down a little bit, you know, what, what, whatever. You um, and, and for me, I've always been humble because I always remember what it was like to pull food out of a trash can because I didn't have anything to eat. I, I remember what it was like to be evicted with my mom standing in line four hours waiting for our free handout of welfare. Um, so for me, I've always come from a place of humility as far as that the way I see the definition. Um, I, I n- have never thought that I was better than than anyone else. Uh, I, I I don't. The only thing I, I would say maybe I'm arrogant about is you know maybe uh, trading in the stock market or or sells you know because I I feel I'm really really great and and so. Um, but as far as people as a whole in, in being humbled, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Here's, here's how, the, the best way for me to say it. To this day, and I learned this from my dad, um, I say hello, and I'm kind and respectful to everyone, homeless person, uh, and, I, and I'm far more uh, respectful and, and kind to service industry people, you know, uh, housekeepers at the hotel Uh, wait staff at a restaurant, uh, restroom attendants at the airport. If you think very few people talk to those people and those are the people I go out of my way to say, thank you, acknowledge, have a conversation with. Most people are opposite. They go out of their way to talk to the CEO, the founders, the, 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 the high net worth people. And I'm like, they already have enough people kissing their ass. Yeah. I I don't, I don't need to to, to give them any more. So yeah, I've never uh, had a problem with, humility i've had a problem at times just not knowing there was a different way
0: yeah we send the hollywood elites gift bags of two to three four hundred thousand dollars for an award show and it's like they could get all these people to sponsor them on their own like they don't don't
1: need this think (laughs) about this ryan same same vein of what you're saying If, if an athlete walks into a restaurant right now and and the they recognize oh my god that's xyz there's a high probability they're going to comp that oh thank you for coming you know can we get some pictures and i'm like wait a minute they could pay for everybody's meal in this place and and that's the person we're going to comp so uh, again man uh, when, when zone out big picture look at the
0: dumb shit we do as a society well so we're going to put this on the air now um a joint venture here for all the Hollywood award shows that are giving these 50 to two to $300,000 gift bags. The proposal I'm going to make, I think you're agree with me is take that money and go pick, put a lottery system and employ what you could employ by hundreds of people and train them for a couple of years and talk about making real, economic impact 17 18 19 year olds coming out of high school who don't have the grades to go to college but they could be a plumber electrician what a forest ranger whatever those jobs that we actually need a lot of you could take those gift bags send them to the local uh not junior college but the trade trade school get them through there and get them with one gift bag could put multiple people so there you go hollywood there's your idea there's your humanitarian thing that you should do (laughs) with your money
1: well, think you know what's funny too is is that they get those gift bags, but they were going to show up to the award show regardless if they got the gift bag or not.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's, not, totally it's not like the away. gift
1: bag yeah. enticed yeah. me to come. I was going yeah, to you know exactly, I was get anyway.
0: Exactly. So uh, so keep the gift bags. Give to the people who need it. That would be actually a benefit to society. So you go through the the housing crisis, um, and then you get into the the publishing business. I do want to talk about that transition because. um, Obviously, I'm a big, big reader. I've co-authored one book. I thought about writing others, um, but it's that whole writing thing. That's the, that's, <laughs> that's the problem. That. But you got into publishing at a time where, hey, publishing is kind of on the outs, you know, especially physical copies. Of course, I've got hundreds of physical copies of my office. I love books. But, but you've actually been successful where people thought it might go away. Yeah. What got ma- what what, what you tuned into that? And how have you been successful there? Massive
1: misconception. It, 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 books aren't going away. Uh, you know, the, the most printed book of all time is the Bible. It, books aren't going away. Um, so, so how I even got into it, I was actually the president of a software company and I, I started at the software company. I was the lowest paid person. Uh, I was a sales guy. And through you know, over a course of two years, worked my ass off, uh, ended up becoming the president of, of the software company. And we scaled that, that company from uh, me sitting in the storage closet, making my my sales calls. We ended up having two offices here in Austin, one in Houston, one in Dallas and uh, one in Monterey, Mexico. And I remember one time I was on a flight and I hit, hit a lot of turbulence and that, that became the aha moment of, man, if something happened to me, my my kids wouldn't know, you know, where I come from, my, my origin story, their origin story. So then I, uh, reached out to my um, LinkedIn network of people I was connected with. And I I asked, I said, does anyone know someone that can help me write, write a book? And I got introduced to the two co-founders of, of Scribe. And at the time, they were about 13 months old. They were a true startup. And uh, came over to my office at this software company we met. And, and at the end of the meeting, uh, the, the, one of the co-founders asked me, he said, hey, Will you give us feedback as you go through our process? He goes, you've built an amazing company here. And I go, no, man, no no one person builds an amazing company. It takes a great group of people to build an amazing company. And he said, will you give me feedback? I said, yeah. Man, long story short, I, I was giving them feedback Then they invited me to an executive meeting. Then they'd ask me if I'd be on their advisory board. Then one day we were at Starbucks and they they said, hey, if we give you equity in the company, would you become the CEO? And and it was funny, man, because I remember thinking to myself, I was like, wow. I've been the president of a software company and I can't write code. Now I have the opportunity to be a CEO of a publishing company. I can't read. I can't spell. I can't tell you an adverb from an adjective. And I remember thinking to myself, God bless America. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in, man. Let's do it. And so here, here I am now. Uh, what, six years later, we've worked with over 2,000 authors. Um, I mean, some Nobel Peace Prize committee, former Navy SEAL David Goggins. I mean, David Goggins has like the, the one of the best-selling memoirs of all time.
0: Yeah, we're um, going to we, talk
1: about Goggins. Yeah, so so you know it, it's it, it, incredible. You know we we've been able to 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 do this, but uh, why? why the, the the big piece I share with people is it just it goes to show you know anything truly is possible.
0: Did you work much with Goggins when he was writing his book?
1: Oh yeah, I mean uh, Goggins and I have turned into to, to boys. He uh, my second book, Modern Leader. He actually wrote uh, the forward for me. So yeah, we're. Uh, we we've grown pretty tight over the years.
0: He's a different breed.
1: That's a different guy. <laughs> yeah, that is a that is a different man right there. And and I will say too, what you hear is who he is.
0: Mm. I've heard that from I don't obviously know in person, but I've I've seen enough interviews where people are like, oh yeah, like you know you get around him like that's, that's who he is. That's, that's who he is. I mean that's who he is. How do you learn from a guy like that? C- can you? Because I look at it like David Goggins, I go, yeah, I don't, I don't have what he has. I'm not sure I can actually get what he has. I'm not sure I should try to get what he has because it's so far, it'd be like me trying to be Michael Jordan. It's just too far removed from what I can do. Well, well, I, I
1: believe, and, and I believe David would say this to you as well. Um, actually, I believe any, anybody can, but in, in the arena that they aspire. So maybe you don't want to run a hundred mile Ultra marathon. Okay, great. But the mentality that he carries—that's what he preaches about. And, and it's it's truly comes down to a choice. Are you are you going to get up each morning and take your ass to the gym? Uh, are you going to go to the drive-through? And, and, and really, it it's that simple. It's it comes down to what are you? Everyone's going to have to sacrifice uh, in order to achieve success there there is zero success without sacrifice and 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 I'm going to show you this at the highest level at the highest level so take bill clinton george bush and barack obama all three went into office with young daughters you're going to tell me they didn't sacrifice family meals seeing their daughters uh recitals, games, what whatever it was, uh, you know, reading books at night, they sacrificed at the highest level for success. And you know, people will talk about like, you know, pick LeBron James, just throwing a name out there. Yeah, LeBron James makes a hundred million dollars a year. He's got the, the the Nike contract, he wins championships, but no one talks about when LeBron James is in that gym for seven hours straight shooting or when he's on an 11 game uh road trip and he's missing his family and he's not there so so everybody you know in our country we want to celebrate the success but no one wants to celebrate the sacrifice and that's how you get to success is you're going to have to make some sacrifices and unfortunately in our country most people um we we want the quick fix we don't want to be consistent we we much rather brag about how we uh binge watched the Game of Thrones on Netflix all weekend. But Ryan, when's the last time you heard anybody brag to you? Oh my god, Ryan, man, we binge studied our 401k and retirement plan all weekend.
0: No <laughs> one, yeah,
1: no yeah. one says that. Exactly. But but everyone's quick to tell you what 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 uh, what they binge-watched. Everyone's quick to tell you how what, what bars they were at over, over the weekend. Uh, and then they have the audacity at 6 o'clock on Sunday to be pissed off that they don't like their career and they don't like whether they have to go to work the next day. And they did nothing over the weekend to
0: change that. I'll tell you what I think the most impressive thing about LeBron James is. Me and him are the same age. I think I'm, maybe he's a year older than me or you're younger, but we're the same age, right? So he gets his, what, 90, $100 million Nike contact contract out of high school at 18 years old yeah i i would have i don't care how okay i went okay i went an athlete i mean i played football but okay i'm saying if i had his talent and i had my same mentality and you gave me 100 million dollars at 18 i would not be the player that he is yeah i mean people don't realize you talk about the, that work that, that they're doing when you have 100 million dollars and you don't ever have to work again that's what's mind-boggling yeah as like the 18 year old 19 year old 20 year old, are you able to keep putting the work in when you, when money's no longer even relevant for you? He was generationally wealthy before he could drink alcohol and he still has a crazy work ethic. That's unbelievable. Well, and and here's the thing, this, this is the
1: part that so many people, um, I guess for me, I see what, what you just said, or I see a David Goggins. And for me, it comes down again, it comes down to choices. You know, um, you know, I, I get up each day at 3 45 in the morning. Uh, first thing I do is say my prayers and then I'm off to the gym. I'm in the gym by 4.30 and I do that uh, six days a week. And, and it, it, you know, I got four kids and, you know, I um, have an awesome career that I get to lead a company. Uh, but it, it's, I cut out things out of my life. I make the sacrifices that, I put what's important in front of me, you know, in in my five pillars, God, health, family, business, and investing. If it doesn't fall in those five, I don't do it. I love football, love football. Tom Brady has yet to send me any of his contracts. So I didn't watch the Super Bowl. Doesn't matter to me. I'd rather spend that two and a half hours with, with my kids. Now, here's the thing. I'm not bashing people who watch football. I'm not bashing people who binge watch. I'm bashing people who complain about where they are in life and they're not doing anything to make change.
0: Yeah. It's funny. I was having a conversation with a buddy yesterday, day before yesterday. Let's talk about this um, people in life that, that um, we're working on this, this, this deal anyways. And um, we're talking about in the corporate world, a lot of times to get ahead of your peer or your boss, it's not, that big of a gap right just just to just to get ahead slightly it, it's not a huge margin but most people don't want to put in just the, just a small bit of work to do that and, and it's quite stunning that, that that they can't see that you know if you if you're able to put in just a little bit more work you can probably pass a lot of people
1: okay well you you hear a lot of people with this mentality oh they don't pay me for that they don't pay me enough right. that's not my that's not my job and and I've always been that type of person. I'll do it. Well, you know, uh, Because um, I've always believed if you do extra, and, and, and here's the thing, do extra when no one's looking. Mm. That's, that's the mark. If you're in the restroom and there's paper towels on the floor and you're the only one in the restroom, pick them up. What makes you better than the, than the custodian that, that's going to clean them up? Pick them up. Do, do, do right and you'll get right. I live by that. If you do the right thing, the right things will always happen. And don't expect it to be a, a one for one. I, I, I worked uh, three hours overtime and, 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 and no one noticed. And now that it, if, you, if you're consistent and you do right, you'll get right. And so I've always been willing to do what other
0: people aren't. Yeah. And I bet in your position, working with all these um, talented driven individuals is, is a huge, huge benefit.
1: Uh, it, it, it is, you know, you, you get to, to speak with people who many are of the same mindset, you see how they got there. Uh, and again, man, like I said, I got, I got a GED, you know, and you heard my background. And so uh, academically, it's not like there's a lot going on up here, but, but I've always realized life is choices. How, when you wake up in the morning, are you choosing to be positive or negative? A positive attitude can change everything. A negative attitude has never done anything for anyone. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful I wake up in my, my, my home. And here's the thing. I don't care where you are. You have a choice. If you're on death row, you get to wake up and decide how you see the world that day.
0: There's a saying, you can have a great day if you want to. And so that's yeah. that's, that's it. Okay. So the last few questions here. For people listening that might go, man, okay, I am in business. I, I, I've kind of got a, a, a story, perhaps. How do you go about advising people? Yeah, it's time to write a book.
1: Uh, the number one thing when, when people come to us, the, the number one question we ask is define success. Let's fast forward. We have this amazing cover, incredible content. So we've got this book in our hands, define success. That's what we're after. What, what do you? Why are you writing this book? And for us, a person for for our company, someone has to have a purpose on why they're doing the book. Like you heard me say earlier, I did my book as a legacy piece for for my kids. Period. That was it. I didn't care if that book ever sold one copy. So for us, if someone comes to us and they lead with, "I want to sell a million copies and be a New York Times bestselling author." we tell them that's not our business model you're looking for fame you got to go call the kardashians that's that's what they they so we we don't do fame and book sales and it, what what is the purpose and i'll give you some examples we've got we've like i said we've worked with over 2000 authors we got about 250 authors who have never sold one copy of their book they give it away for free and all of them have landed six and seven figure contracts we have one uh gentleman, he does nothing but give his uh, book away, and he, he attributes directly to his book uh, that he's uh, brought in over $20 million in business off of that book.
0: Not a bad day at the office? No. <laughs> Not a bad day at the office. Okay. Um, you said you get 345, so I have to ask, what time do you go to bed? I meant to ask a minute ago, but I forgot. Yeah.
1: It, <laughs> it, it, any, anywhere between 9.45 and 10.30. Yeah. I'm, I'm ooh,
0: ooh, man, that's a, that's a short, that's a short wrap there. Yeah.
1: I, I'm good off of five or six. Uh, I, I'm actually, you know, where, where you, you, you'll hear people say, oh, I got to get my eight hours. I, I don't function well off of six. I'm the opposite. If I go over six, I don't just, it it just, I feel sluggish, groggy, but like, so, uh, and and I'll be the first to admit there was a time period where I believed, okay, man, three to four, three to four. And as I got older, I realized, uh, man, if I had been doing six all along, I probably would have accomplished a a, a lot more, but you know, again, learn, learn from your mistakes.
0: Okay. So we're going to link to the book and of course, uh, scrabmedia.com anywhere else you want us to connect people to in the show notes.
1: Um, I mean, find me on, on LinkedIn, Javon McCormick. Uh, that's really where I share a lot of my content, mistakes, thoughts, things of that nature. And then my, my personal book, uh, Modern Leader, um, Amazon, you can find it on you know, Scribe, JavonMcCormick.com.
0: Awesome. Okay, well, Javon,
1: thank you so much for your time today. My man, have a great anniversary, sir. Thank
0: you. Thanks for listening today. Really, really appreciate it. If you could, drop a five-star review wherever you may be. We keep getting on great guests, and that's because you keep supporting that show. If you want to know more, go to warroommedia.com.
2: Ever wonder if the deep state murdered President Kennedy? If Hillary Clinton is kidnapping babies? If the COVID-19 virus is part of a plot to turn your country into an evil dictatorship? or if Tom Cruise is a shape-shifting alien reptile. Hi, my name is Michel-Jacques Gagné. I'm a Canadian author, teacher, philosophical historian, and recovering conspiracist. I'm also the creator and host of the Paranoid Planet podcast, a monthly variety show that combines fun conversations, long-form interviews, thoughtful essays, film and book reviews, and a little bit of silliness on the subject of, well, you guessed it, conspiracy theories. So if you want to learn more about conspiracism, if you want to become a better critical thinker, or if you just enjoy listening to interesting conversations in an entertaining format, check out the Paranoid Planet podcast at www.paranoidplanet.ca That's www.paranoidplanet.ca or anywhere you download your favourite podcasts. Until then, make sure you keep the blinds closed avoid talking to strangers, and, just to be safe, avoid drinking the water out of the tap. You'll thank us for it later. But don't take my word for it. Ask this guy. What do you think tap water is? It's a gay bomb, baby. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay! Do you understand that? serious crap! I'm sick of being social engineered, it's not funny!